Hey, I want to tell you, last Sunday, uh, many of you were here, some of you weren't because of Christmas and traveling, but uh, we, I think we fed about, about 475 people breakfast in all three services, and it was wonderful. It's wonderful to have that be a part of worship, and so some people say, uh, when will we do it again? And uh, I think 2022 is the next, so we'll see, we'll see what happens. It's good to want, that you want more. So you've got in your bulletin the um, card that has the preaching series that will resume uh, next Sunday. We'll be in Galatians chapter 4. Remember, all through the fall, we looked at the first three chapters of Galatians, and now we'll look at the, um, the rest of the letter all the way through Easter. And uh, you'll see in there that uh, starting in chapter 4, that we're going to look at what it means to be adopted sons. And it's interesting that John, in his gospel, first chapter, he begins talking about exactly the same thing. John's gospel is written somewhere between 30 and 60 years after Jesus' resurrection. It's the most theological of all gospels. He doesn't tell us anything about the manger. He doesn't tell us about the shepherds. He doesn't tell us about the wise men. He doesn't tell us any of that. He goes right into who Jesus is and who He is for you and me. So let's look at it together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There's a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him. Who believed in his name, he gave the rights to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor by the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made Him known. One of the long-standing traditions in this country is any time a president is elected and inaugurated, Within a first couple of months, they sit for an oil portrait. They have to be painted. And back in 1964, when Lyndon Baines Johnson became President of the United States, he had to sit for this portrait, and he hated every minute of it. He squirmed. He said, I don't want to do this. And they said, too bad, Mr. President. It's required of you. So after a couple of uh, weeks, the artist had put the final touches on it and had a a sheet covering the final portrait, and he unveiled it. And you know what Johnson did? He stood to his feet and said, I hate it! It's the ugliest thing I've ever seen! Look at those ears! 
He had some good ears. <laughs> he wanted it to be redone, but they wouldn't let him. Imagine saying to the president, no. I think it's interesting, John said that Jesus came to his own, but his own didn't receive him. You know what that means? They had ears, but they couldn't hear. They couldn't hear what the angels had said. They couldn't hear what the shepherds reported. They couldn't hear what the wise men might have reported. They couldn't hear what the prophets had said. They didn't even hear what John the Baptist had to say. John had said, this is he of whom the prophets have spoken, and yet they could not receive that testimony. Think of it. Jesus came into this world when Rome was the major power in the world. They had developed a system of roads. They had a communication system unparalleled. They had one common language that they introduced. They had this Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. It was a perfect time for the message of the gospel to get out. And yet, what does John say? He came to his own and his own did not receive him. And that begs the question. How is it that we understand who Jesus is? How is it that our hearts have been open to not only receive Him, but have Him take over our lives? How is that possible? And the answer John tells us plainly here is God prepares our hearts and our ears beforehand. Of all the writers of the New Testament... There are no two writers that agree on more. In fact, even the same language is used by them, Paul and John. And what we have here in John's gospel, right out of the blocks, he begins to talk about the implications of the incarnation, the truths that have come to those who God has opened their ears and opened their hearts. If you know Christ today, it's because the Lord prepared your ears and your heart. If you know Him today, and if you love Him today, it's because He has enabled you to do so. Remember what John says, He came to His own, and yet His own did not receive Him. So here in this chapter, in the very brief amount of verses, 18, John sets forth four truths, four doctrines that are critical to, for our Christian life. They are doctrines that have been engaged in your life through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so on this first Sunday of the year, as a transition from the narratives of Jesus' birth back to Galatians chapter 4, let's dig in and see what John has to say. First of all, notice the truth about election. Verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not by blood, nor by the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Notice how John refers to our salvation. He uses a word that Paul uses a lot, and the word is birth or born. He says, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. He tells that to Nicodemus. Remember, Jesus does in John chapter 3. He's using the same word that Paul uses. Birth, born again, made anew, regenerated. He's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. And he says every one of us as Christians have experienced spiritual birth. And it's an amazing thing how many people are willing to credit themselves with a piece of this process. 
way back, decades ago, in a hospital not far from Detroit, Michigan, I was born, and I want you to know I had nothing to do with it. That's what John says about our spiritual birth. You know, it's interesting. People can say, I believe God is the one who does the miracles. I believe the virgin birth implicitly. God can do that. And He did it. I believe God has has formed heaven and God also has created a hell. I believe God's in charge of all of that. But when it comes to my standing with God, it's a cooperative arrangement. I've heard people look at verse 12 of John chapter 1 and say, see, John says, but to all who received Him, All who believed on His name, doesn't that imply, at least in part, it's part our doing? I love the story Spurgeon told of one time he was preaching to a group of clergy that were all Methodists. And he said he preached as he always does, sort of expositorily all the way through the text. And he said as he began to preach, these people were very responsive. These clergy began to say, Amen, Hallelujah, preach it, praise the Lord, glory to God. And he said, the more they yelled, the more I preached. And then I came to the part of the text where I said to them, now we deal with one of the most magnificent doctrines of the faith, election. You all believe in election, don't you? And they all said as one, no! He said, I will prove to you that you believe in election. I will make your heart sing over this doctrine. And then he said this, Do you believe there's a difference between you who know Christ and those who don't? They said, absolutely. Yes, yes, to the glory of God, yes. And then he said, do you think there's a difference between who you are now that you're in Christ and who you were before you were in Christ? And they said, yes, yes, glory to God. He said, so let's say there's a man sitting next to you. He's been to the same chapel. He's heard the same message. He's seen the same demonstration of power. And yet he is unconverted and you are. Who's made the difference? And they, as one they said, God did. The Lord Himself did. Hallelujah. He said, yes. And that's the doctrine of election. I'm contending for that. If there's a difference, it's the Lord who does it. That's exactly what John's saying. But all who received Him, all who believed on His name, all those who had ears to hear Jesus' identity and their own are the product of the elective power of God. They're not born of flesh. They're not born of their own will. They're not born of the will of man. They're born of the will of God. And so he says, when the Word became flesh, that's when was demonstrated the elective power of God. Second, notice the second truth, the doctrine of election, or of adoption. Look at verse 12. But all who received Him, who believed on His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Now that's exactly what Paul says in Galatians 4.4, 4, and we'll get there next week. Paul says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might be received, that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, the word adoption in the Roman world was a a word that everyone was familiar with. 
there was the power of the Father. The Father could decree anything in His household and never be arrested. If you didn't like your child, you could put them to death as a father, and the law said that was fine. If you didn't like a child, you could bar the child from the dinner table. You could do anything you wanted to as a father. There was the power of the father. And so Roman law provided for a father who had no son. If a father was wealthy enough and had no son, he could go to a poor man who had several sons who wanted to to receive money, and for a large amount of money, he could buy one of his sons and make him his own. And once that child moved from the old family to the new family, that son would become a full heir. All the debts that son had would be canceled. All of the rights to the old family would be renounced. He was given a completely new identity. And according to the Roman law, it was never for the sake of the child. It was always for the sake of the father. It was always for the sake of the father's name. And that's exactly what John is saying. When Jesus became a man, when God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ, all who receive him, all who believe in his name, because of the elective work of God, become children of God. Now think of how different that is from the culture in which we live. The culture in which we live believes in the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. And yet the New Testament is clear. It's not the creative power of God that makes us children. It's the redemptive power of God that makes us children. The redemptive power of Christ. Third, notice the third truth that he speaks, which is revelation. Look at verse 18. For no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made Him known. I love what John says there. If any doubt about who Jesus is, he says, no one has seen God, and yet God who is at the Father's side has made Him known. Jesus is God in the flesh. Many decades ago, Capitol Records released a new album. And they did it differently back then. They had this vinyl that was usually black. And, and they were called records, and they were, in, they were in these cases, these sleeves, jackets, you know, before iTunes, right? And so when Capitol Records released this album, they had one question. There was only ever one question when a record company released a record, and that is, would it sell? But after a couple of weeks, they had a different question. How in the world did this happen? You see, they released a country and western album by Waylon Jennings, but people began to call saying, when I put it on, I thought I'd hear Jennings' voice, but instead I heard Kermit and Miss Piggy. At the factory, they put on the wrong labels, about a thousand albums. And I thought about that, and I thought, that's exactly what the world does with the gospel. You know what the world says about the gospel? It says to be a Christian means you follow a certain pattern of living. At least you think you do, and usually you don't, but you try to have people believe that you do. The gospel's really religion. That's what the world says, and yet that's switching the labels. When Jesus comes and shines his light into a dark world, we come to recognize the truth. that the gospel is the opposite of religion. All the doings that are necessary have been done by Jesus. And all of the doings that occur in your life after you come to know Him 
are influenced by his grace. This week I was talking with a guy who became a Christian a couple of years ago, and he said, you know, when I think back to all the things I used to believe and all those things I used to do, I can't believe how what a stupid idiot I was. I smiled and said, me too. That's the testimony of every Christian. There are things you used to believe you don't believe anymore. There are things you used to do you don't do anymore. There are passages of Scripture you used to read and you knew the words, but it didn't make sense, but now they do. All that is revelation. It's not our doing. He opens our ears and He unstops our mouths to give Him praise and He softens our heart. That's everything God does for you and me. And that's a wonderful benefit because you and I, we're fickle. But God isn't. He never changes. Remember Peter when he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember what Jesus says to him? Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, if you hear God's voice, if you know Jesus for who He really is, it changes everything. And the truth is, the reason you hear it and know it is because the Holy Spirit has engaged you by the power of revelation. Have you ever talked to somebody about the gospel on more than one occasion? I do it all the time. (laughs) I can't tell you the number of times people have said, I never heard it until today. And I thought, I've said that a thousand times. What's that mean? That was the day in which the Holy Spirit opened the ears, softened the heart. You file it under revelation. And then fourth, and by the way, have you noticed that every one of these truths is all about what God does and how we're simply the recipients? Look at the fourth one. It's the doctrine or the truth of subvention. I'll define it in a minute. Look at verses 16 and 17. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The word is subvention. And it is, it literally means to be rescued by a grant or an endowment. Now imagine, you have a debt and it's huge. Some of you don't have to imagine. (laughs) Let's say, though, your debt is so huge and they're ready to foreclose, you're ready to file bankruptcy, and someone comes to you and gives you a grant and an endowment and says, here, here's everything you need. That's exactly what John is saying. Jesus comes and gives us everything we need. But notice, John puts it in the context of the law. He says it this way, the law was given to us through Moses. And that's exactly what Paul has been laboring in chapter 3 of Galatians. Basically, what Paul says is, the law says this, live this way or you die. And that's why every time I hear somebody say, I'm just trying to live up to the commandments. I'm just trying to follow Jesus' example. And, you know, if, you're, if you really want to engage in conversation, how are you doing with that? 
I mean, really, how are you doing with that? Because every time somebody thought they were doing well with it, Jesus would get in their face and say, see, you aren't. When you begin to interface with the law, and you have ears to hear what the law says and hearts to receive what the law says, you get panicked. And then it goes to despair. And then at that point, Jesus comes to you and says, as for the law, I've kept it for you. I'm going to grant you everything you need to live free from the demands and from the penalty of the law. I have a friend who teaches preaching at a seminary. And he said, invariably, the first couple of weeks in a new seminary preaching class, he'll engage the students, and he finds often that they're very legalistic and judgmental. They'll have tough things to say about people, especially preachers. So little humility. And so sometimes when somebody says something really arrogantly, Steve will look him in the eye and say, you know something? You're too young and haven't sinned big enough to have an opinion on that subject. In other words, what he's saying is, the more you know Jesus, the more you walk with him, the more you'll learn two things. Your total insufficiency and his total sufficiency you'll begin to experience His grace and that will affect your understanding and application of truth. Years ago, that same man received a letter from a woman who wrote this. At a Bible study recently, I found out why God makes me go through so many things, so many hurts, so many trials, so many fears. He wants to loosen me up because I've come to recognize even for God, it's hard to hug a stiff kid. And then she said, the very next day, I had an illustration of that. I was asked to babysit my 18-month-year-old nephew. Parents went out, so I come to the house. He's back in his bedroom. I go to his bedroom, and he's covered with dirt from head to foot, and his diaper is loaded. And I walk into the room, I can barely stand it, and he reaches up and he wants me to pick him up. You know what I did? I picked him up and I hugged him as tightly as I could. And God said to me, see? It's hard to hug a stiff kid. It's easy to hug a dirty kid. You know what the law makes you? The law makes you stiff. Not only does it stiffen you up when you first hear it, but then when you get the illusion that you can keep it with any degree of felicity, that's when the law begins to make you rigid. And you know what His grace does? The opposite. He loosens you up. That's why John says it this way. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And it's always in that order. It is always in that order. Jesus will never apply the truth until the grace has been first applied. That's why John begins his gospel the way he does. In the beginning of the, was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. But the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know why? To show us the truth. The implications of Christ, Christmas. The truth of election. The truth of adoption. The truth of revelation. 
and the truth of subvention. And you know what those first letters of each one of those words spell? It spells ears. And that's why if John were here today, he might not just say, Happy New Year's. He might actually say, Happy New Ears. Because the truth is, because of all that Jesus has done, we can receive it all because He's dug out for us new ears. So Happy New Year's. But more than that, Rejoice in your new ears. Think about that. Amen.